0: You're listening to F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. This is episode 53 with Len Metcalf. We had a great conversation this week and uh, uh, Len is a fantastic guy. He's really into digital black and white photography and we talked a lot about that and how it's different from shooting in color. Um, Len does a lot of uh, teaching in photography and, and he actually does that for a living. So we talked about uh, what that's like for him and, and what are his methods for teaching photography? Um, we talked a bit about composition, talked a bit about, uh, what it was like for him growing up in the blue mountains of Australia and how he got into photography. And, uh, we talked about, uh, this daily blog that he writes and what the purpose of it is and what the, uh, the feedback and impact he gets back from his fans are. Um, and over on Patreon this week, we talked about the interesting intersection between teaching and ethics, which I think is a fantastic uh, topic with lots of interesting avenues that can be explored, and we had a great time uh, talking about it. Um, as always, thank, thanks to all the people who are supporting over on Patreon. It's really helping the podcast out. Um, it's kind of nice, like every week, get a couple more people supporting and Inching closer and closer towards our goal to be able to give out that one thousand dollar conservation award. Um, So thank you, thank you all so much for that. Um, As always, uh, reach out to me on social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. I actually just uh, started a Facebook page for the podcast, and I started a Instagram page for the podcast to where I'll just share episodes and stuff about the podcast over there um just to help it kind of separate out so hopefully that'll help people out um look forward to hearing from all the fans and uh thanks so much for all you do to support the podcast enjoy thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to come onto the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, that's um, fine, Matt, and it's lovely to meet you and, and chat to you. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Absolutely, I think I think the person that recommended me or recommended you to me was um, Hillary Younger, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh, oh, okay. Hillary recommended me. Yes, um, we've only just sort of quite. We've only met just recently
0: cool yeah i think you know i think she sees you as a as a leader in the kind of teaching and ethics side of photography so um i'm definitely as soon as she mentioned that i was super excited to to have someone like that on the podcast so <laughs> thanks so much
1: well, it's a pleasure
0: cool it's so yeah. <laughs> um so just maybe start off a little bit um tell the tell the audience a little bit about yourself um you know, like who you are, where you came from, and um, kind of how you got into uh, photography.
1: I'm a um, from the Blue Mountains in, which is two hours west of Sydney in Australia, uh, which is a a small sort of community with within a large wilderness area, which is a World Heritage area, and it's a sandstone absolute beautiful place covered in um lots of bush and miles and miles of um cliffs and really really rugged uh escarpments which is um you know one of those usual places that uh is too hard to farm so it got left alone and it turned into a beautiful national park um i was born there and uh my father put a camera in my hand at an age that i can't even remember and uh um, in a similar vein to my father, I took it apart to try and figure out how it worked and, and broke and destroyed the thing in the process. And to be honest, Matt, I can't remember the first time I took a photo. You know, people have all these romantic memories of starting and I don't have that. Um, it's been there for such a long time. Uh, when I was older, when uh, he started giving me um, thirty five millimeter slrs and we used to set up a dark room in the laundry in the house and we 'd print um, for a few days and then mum would want the laundry back and we didn 't even have blackout <laughs> we just used to wait till there was no moon and print on those nights so photography was was very young my um mother was a, a is a painter and an artist, and so my draw my real passions is a Uh, a young man were in art so drawing probably even outshone photography and uh, it was at art school that uh, I didn't really fit into um, art school. I was more of a botanical illustrator and the art school that I went to was a paint on the floor school. and if I'd taken off my clothes and rolled around in paint on the on the canvas, I would have got more marks and trying to draw beautiful landscapes and trees, which was my passion. <laughs> and uh, while I was failing, I was uh, excelling in photography because it was something that had been there my whole life. and uh, I, after a break working in outdoor education I came back to university and majored in photography because I thought it was a good skill that I could put down and then pick back up again and I haven't been able to pick up drawing but I've been able to put down photography and pick it up again throughout my whole life and I went from a failing art school to being the top student in photography and uh, winning all the graduate awards and uh mainly because I had such fantastic teachers that encouraged me and supported me, whereas my drawing teachers were, were quite negative. they draw on my drawings. That's not how you do it. You don't know what, where's your emotions, <laughs> where's, why aren't you connecting with the subject matter? And being an environmentalist, you know, 30, 40 years ago, people didn't understand what that meant, I think.
0: What, what was your what was your first camera that you took apart? <laughs> that
1: was a Gerovat, a box like a box brownie. It was a German camera. Um, okay, and it was this very similar camera to a box brownie, and I was really interested okay. in how the shutter mechanism worked. Hey, it, and how it got um, 125th of a second. Well, actually, it was how fast you pressed the shutter is how fast the shutter clicked. Anyway, I figured oh, out really? how all that worked. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's cool. Did you find that the understanding the the mechanics behind how the camera operated helped you um, learn how to use the camera? Uh,
1: not at that stage. I, not that backstage. happened a lot okay. later. Right? Um, see, my father repaired cameras for a hobby, and. Uh, when I opened my first photography gallery, I said to Dad, can, do you have any cameras I can put in a display cabinet to show off? And he goes, oh, yeah, come down and I'll have a few here. And I, I drove down to Sydney and uh, I couldn't walk across his bedroom floor. He'd covered the whole floor. And I had no idea that his obsession for cameras and how they worked was um, so astronomical. I think I had 70 cameras in my um, gallery when I opened from my father.
0: Oh my goodness! So he that's used to repair incredible. them
1: and trade them, and so there was always cameras. Like uh, I grew up on Olympus OM uh, EM. Uh, what is it called? Uh, OM One. Uh, and there were, there's eight of them here or something, and so we had ones for spare parts and ones that worked, and this was the good one, and in all the different models. It was, um, yeah, fascinating.
0: <laughs> that's that's amazing. So I know you. You teach photography for a living now. So how did you make that transition?
1: Well, that was really fascinating. Actually, um, at art school, I used to support myself um, working in an outdoor center, an environmental education center, and I used to do corporate training and work with school kids. And um, I absolutely loved teaching. And uh, I went on um, rather than – when I left art school – my dreams of being an artist were dashed and I just really – I thought the art world sucked and I really didn't like the way that artists became famous and, you know, who who you knew and all those sort of things. Um, I, I had sponsors to be a photographer and I just looked at it and went, no, I don't want to be a photographer. I want to go and pursue education. I'd rather work in a medium that allows me to communicate directly with people um, and so – You know, virtually being hands on with clients and teaching environmental and community values was so much more powerful. Uh, When I left art school, Matt, I put my camera down for 10 years Mm. and I pursued a career in education. I became a qualified art teacher. I then went on to become, uh, do my master's in adult education. I worked at a a huge range of um, different organizations, long term unemployed. Youth at risk, corporations training their um, staff to be better managers and leaders. I I did a stint as a university lecturer, and I trained uh, the Kuwait military in how to teach in their their naval school for a, as a university degree in how to teach. So uh, education is probably um, life my biggest lifelong passion. Mm. Um, I was actually in the Middle East and one of the subjects I had to teach and I was about 27 as a university lecturer there and uh, the subject was uh, technology and in there was photography and so I suddenly was teaching photography as part of my passion to teach um, education Oh, and I picked brilliant. up a camera again and I'm like, here I am teaching photography. And uh, I loved it and I actually went and bought a camera and I hadn't had one because I'd destroyed all my cameras in the meantime uh, for quite a few years and started taking photos. And I started my very first project after art school and I documented my friends my uh, that I'd met while I was living in another country before I went home and I made a book of portraits of all my friends and that ignited a passion that since that day I haven't really been able to put a camera down uh, and I've been obsessive ever since I had the money I could fly to New York I went to B&H and bought the large format camera that I'd always wanted when I was at art school and came home with you know packets of transparency and went straight back up to the blue mountains and just started being a photographer. Hmm. Uh, my I wanted to give up education at that point. <laughs> uh, I thought oh, I had enough of this on I'm, I'm too tired of teaching. I, I hate working for these huge government organisations or corporations. I'll give up teaching. So I opened a, a a photography gallery and tried to sell my work as a fine art photographer. And uh, people came into the gallery and said to me, Len, can you show me how to take photos like this? And uh, teaching photography grew organically from that moment. And uh, my business has just kept growing and growing and growing and taken over to the point that Print sales are quite a laugh and my whole life is around teaching photography and I was able to give up all my other secondary jobs and concentrate
0: on that as a business. And how long have you been doing that?
1: I've been full-time living off it now for
0: nine years and (laughs) I've been teaching it
1: probably for 15 or 12, I think.
0: Wow, cool. So... Um, I think one of the things people would really be curious to hear about is how do we teach photography? Like, what is that? Like, how, what is your approach to teaching it? What do you, what have you found to be uh, unique about teaching photography? Um, yeah. How does that all work in your, in your opinion?
1: Well, I've been very lucky having grown up as an educator, um, and studied it so much is that that part of the, uh, Job is something I just fall into in incredibly relaxed state and use all my teaching skills that I have over the years and and dip into them. Uh, one of the biggest lessons I learnt as a teacher along along the way was to stop pointing out everybody's errors and trying to fix them. Um, instead of doing that, what I learnt was to concentrate on what people were doing right hmm. and really focus in and clearly tell them and I can remember the very first day I did that and I was with a corporate group and I got a better success than I've ever had in my life when I wasn't trying to teach and it just sort of hit me in the face and uh, instead of error correcting I actually filled their heads with uh, examples of where they were doing things right and when people have that pointed out to them they do more of it and eventually the negative things get squeezed out. But it took many years of practice to actually try and actually build that into a a proper process. And I think that's – it's interesting because that relates back to the same story of art school. I didn't survive in the drawing and painting departments because my teachers criticised me in such a way that – I put my head and pulled my head out and decided not to be there and I absolutely couldn't stand it, whereas my photography teachers um, loved my work and kept telling me how beautiful it was and then sort of kept offering suggestions and uh, ways forward and pointing out how my work was working and have you considered this or here's an idea and instead of giving me the answer, they presented it as a problem. And I hmm. learned a very much a problem solving approach. So, years later, now as a teaching photography, I am really, really big on positive critiques. I, I do error correction and I point out where things aren't working, but I really concentrate in on where someone is shining and where they should go next or suggestions of where they could go next. And um, I have a lot of um, clients that are very nervous that have gone on photography trips with and had lessons with many photographers and uh, haven't enjoyed themselves and have come to me and then have become uh, long-term clients because they really enjoy the way I hold their hand and encourage them and support them to be better photographers. And. That's the trick for me is being so supportive and positive and encouraging and creating a, a safe learning environment for them to experiment and go, oh, wow, isn't that beautiful? And then the reason that this is beautiful is because and then being able to describe exactly back to them what they're doing right. And they just shine and blossom and then they go and tell their friends and then they tell their friends and um, it just keeps growing and growing. I I tend not to do tours, I tend to do workshops where we have at least half of the time in a classroom and I'm standing in the front with a whiteboard or a digital projector and I'm actually showing them things and they're asking questions and we're actually looking at their work that they've taken that morning or the night before and they're processing it and then printing it out and then we're discussing why it works.
0: Hmm. <clears throat> so I'm curious uh, what is the what do you see as the the biggest value in um someone uh taking a workshop from somebody else? Oh, I think that,
1: that would depend on who the other person that they were learning from was and also what sort of person you were Uh, Like I go on workshops every year and I save up and I pick out people. So here in Australia, one of the photographers um, is Gordon Undy. So he's a retiring teacher. And when I found out he's retiring, I'm back in his last workshop that he's running. Or I might go um, over to South Africa and study with Freeman Patterson or someone for a week or two. So I pick out really carefully who I'm going to study with and I want to find someone that is supportive, has a huge body of knowledge and has an aesthetic that I agree with mm. um, and that I would like to get into their head and figure out uh, how they work and what, what I can possibly learn from them. Um, I think people get so many different things out of workshops that it's really hard to generalise. Some people just go because they can take photos with other people and... You know, the rest of the class gets up at five o'clock, so I'm going to get up at five o'clock and go and take photos, and there's no excuse to not do that. Or um, some of my mentoring programs, the students promise to bring work in in another month's time, and that actually becomes the the check for them, and that promise motivates them to actually do the work in the meantime Mm. other people want to get into the head of the photographer or they want the to know to take photos like that person or Mm. to understand the techniques of them it's a really huge diverse area
0: right 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 i think some people just take it because it might that person might have a knowledge of a specific location that no one else might have I've noticed that that's also a selling point for some people.
1: Yeah. Um, um, definitely, definitely.
0: Yeah. So when you're teaching, um, I think one of the things that I've always been fascinated by when I go out, cause I've never taken a formal workshop for landscape. I've done, I did a, I did a studio lighting class once, which was really helpful, but I've never done anything else. Um, but one of the things that, um, when I go out with and shoot with other people um, that I respect and that I admire, I like observing kind of their approach to composition because um, I think everyone kind of has a unique approach to composition. And I'm curious, how do you, how, what is your approach to teaching that in your classes?
1: Um, yeah, I, when I go in a workshop and the the, the teachers going off to take photos, I'm five steps behind them, watching them, <laughs> and asking questions and what's going on, and I want to tail them around and see what's, what's <laughs> actually happening in their head. And I totally get that, and I understand that that's a really exciting thing. What I actually teach people, though, is that, um, that they need to relax and find what um, emotionally they're connecting with, in the landscape, um, is it the colours, is it the plants, is it the creek, is it the water, is it the scene, what feelings is it is it making for them and then pursuing that photographically um, as a means of communicating that and exploring it. Like some people love flowers and they wanna get down on the ground and play with just flowers and some people love abstracty stuff and Everyone connects with the landscape differently. I think it's a bit naive to sort of say, oh, we just connect with Mother Nature. I think it's much more complicated that we have certain aspects with it that we connect with. Like if you're interested in birds, you'll connect more with the, the bird sounds or with it could be with big, flat, open, diverse planes that you feel comfortable in or me personally I love it when I'm surrounded by trees and cliffs and I feel hugged by the environment so you've (laughs) got to find out what it is that really excites you and turns you on about that environment and then pursue it relentlessly
0: yeah yeah that's a that's a good point I found that I can't remember who who I was talking to on the podcast but they they said you know shoot what you love because that's a inevitably going to turn into something great down the road. And I, I think that's kind of what you're saying, as if it's uh, something that – yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree more. And it's a, that's a mantra that I say over and over and over again. And people come to me and ask, you know, I don't know what to shoot. And the first question is, what do you love? And if, if they bring 50 or 100 photos and we look at them and you pull out their best work – Inevitably, it is what they love, right? <laughs> it's, it's in your face. The more people you work with, uh, I couldn't agree more than one hundred percent on that one. One hundred and ten percent.
0: Cool, that's awesome. Yeah, it's. Um, I found um, I used I used to be very narrow minded in terms of what I what I loved, and I found that the more diverse locations that I visit, and the more time I spend in those locations the more I I come to love different types of aspects of the environment. Like I just got back from Iceland and there was a day that we were on the beach and I'm not a huge beach um, person. I I don't, I mean, I think it's a beautiful place. I love waves. I love the water, but it just doesn't speak to me photographically usually. Um, But what I found myself drawn to was like all of the, all of the rocks and stuff that were just above the shore and like all of these patterns that were left behind by the salt water and stuff like that, that I, I was really enjoying that aspect of shooting on the coast that I hadn't necessarily been open to in the past. So um, I think it, sometimes it's just a matter of spending enough time in a place to to find something about that type of place that you would like.
1: Yeah, definitely. And there's another layer on that too, is that uh, if you're, in tunes with your feelings when you're photographing and you're listening to your subconscious talk to you your subconscious can be way ahead of your your conscious mind you know it could even be a year or two ahead um, and you mightn't figure out why you have that interest in those layer of rocks um, to a few months down the track or a month down the track and you're looking at them and go oh I know why I was really excited by those and at the time you've switched off that part of your brain and you're concentrating really hard on making really beautiful art. And I often don't think we need to know why we're pursuing something at at the current time that we'll work it out later and it'll come to you as well. So that feeling of, well, that's really interesting, um, can have a deeper meaning that we haven't really quite figured out yet.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So one of the things that I was hoping to spend some time talking to you about um, is digital black and white photography, because um, I know it's something you'd mentioned that you're deeply passionate about. And it's something, um, <clears throat> as I mentioned, I just got back from Iceland and I, when I got, I, when I, when I was in the field out there, I wasn't shooting for black and white at all. I don't see in black and white, but when I got back, Um, there was several images that I shot that when I, when I started looking at them in black and white, they were just so much more powerful, the imagery. Um, And it just, it just spoke way more to me in in that kind of monochromatic way. So I'm curious, what is it you like about black and white photography? Um, What, what is that passion of yours about? And uh, yeah, I'd love to explore that with you.
1: Uh, It. Well, it, co- it takes me back to my roots um, of learning black and white at home, I think, in the dark room and printing my own work. It also takes me back to being a drawer, where a draftsperson, where I would draw with pencil, charcoal ink and ink washes. So I have a, a history of monochrome that really goes through my whole life. Uh, when I walk into the house here, the largest painting in the house is my artwork for my final year of uh, high school. And it's a, a, a sepia watercolor of leaves of one of my photographs. And mm. I look at that today and go, oh, it's so obvious that I've turned back up doing um, sepia monochromes because I, I there's something deep about that that I'm very, very passionate about. And I had to go through years and years of Velvia and Provia and colour and saturation and all those things to explore to figure out that I actually prefer working in black and white. And I don't – I write a fair bit about this and and try to figure it out and I'm still not totally there yet. But for me, (laughs) black and white is easier. Um, It gives me more – compositional latitude and it allows me to have a greater interpretation with my own emotions and not be relying on colour. It also helps not being so reliant on the colour of the light at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. It's easier, like getting colour balance and the colour temperature right in a landscape and like matching. I have such a good colour memory, Matt, that when i take a photo i'm trying to match my colors in the photograph back to my memory and i get really upset if i fail if i <laughs> if i step away from that and use a very different color palette from what i remember i can really enjoy my work but then i get upset that there's no truth in that for me personally so it's for me it's a, a much easier thing but it also is it's so much more richer for me and uh, it inspires me. It's, it's got to the point it becomes quite obsessive and uh, I love that about it and I don't try to worry about I think I'll come back to colour one day, but I don't worry about when that will happen or not. Um, it's a, such a beautiful medium and it, it really evolved um, when I could actually see the black and white image in the viewfinder. I'm, I'm a electronic viewfinder fanatic uh, already in black and white when I was taking the photograph. And the day that that happened and I started seeing my work before I pressed the shutter in black and white and I didn't have to do all this imaginary visualisation stuff um, and I could just see what I was doing uh, – I just dived into it with with gay abandon and had a absolutely fantastic time. The other huge benefit is that I find printing on um, from a computer and processing in software so much easier than in a dark room I don't have the chemical smell it doesn't get up my nose I don't come <laughs> out with a headache I don't spend two days on one photograph um, I can be out taking photos much more. Once I have it finished, I can just print as many copies as I like. It's really easy to have an exhibition, et cetera, et cetera. It's a really freeing digital black and white for me as well.
0: What, um, just real quick, what um, what brand is Camera use that has the digital EVF with the uh, black and white? Is that a Fuji? Well-
1: well, I was using um, – oh, I, I use Olympuses and Fujis, and uh, I've actually won an Olympus EPL1 uh, many years ago in a competition and uh, I bought an electronic viewfinder and clicked it on and um, bought a manual focus lens and put that on a, a, a prime lens um, and it was that day that my f- digital photography just absolutely took off. Uh, at the moment, I'm using um, Fuji medium format, and oh, okay. uh, uh-huh. I'm absolutely loving that. See, I've just been um, picked up by a gallery in Germany, and they want 50-inch prints um, right. to try and sell, and so uh, I, I used to shoot with a a Canon 5DSR for a little while, and I'd, I have a year's worth of work that can be printed um, in that size. Um, most of my Olympus work I can only sort of print to um, A3, A2 or something in that size. So I, I was really excited to to make that leap into medium format as well. And that's, you know, it's got the electronic viewfinder, uh, the Hasselblad medium format. You can't even see the work in black and white through the camera. I just don't quite understand. I think they're missing the point there
0: anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I shoot the Sony a7R II, and I don't think it has the black and white EVF, but I haven't looked at it. Oh, into yes, it, it does, uh,
1: and it's just a matter of oh, figuring oh. out and having a workflow that um, allows you to use it. Um, see, I, um, huh. I shoot raw. I set the camera to black and white. I put my color filters in. Um, I like to shoot with an orange filter. Um, I personally love to shoot square, so I set my aspect ratio to square. I'm not sure huh. if your camera has that or not. Um, they're all things that they have to be in the camera before I can even consider purchasing it. And when I bring the photo <laughs> into Lightroom, I have a preset already set up to match my camera and the photo, the color photos come in. My preset gets applied and I just look at my work and it's almost finished. Um, I can just sort that's of around with
0: it. Do a little sharpening and that's a, maybe a little bit of curves and you're good.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, have, I go straight to the curves box, have a fiddle with the curves. I might then come around and play with the shadows and a few other things. And some work, some photos I'll spend more time playing with, you know, mid-tone contrast and clarity and those sort of things and um, dodging and burning. But generally my my best work virtually comes straight – through the the workflow turns up in my computer, jumps me in the face. I adjust the curves and then print it, and it's finished. And I might have spent That's five cool. minutes on it. And I really love having a very fast, um, efficient, quick workflow. Um,
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, I don't. Spe- I hate the computer. Get me out. Get me out <laughs> in the bush taking photos uh, any day over sitting in the computer, being stuck yeah. inside. No.
0: I'm not gonna lie. I enjoy uh, the digital or uh, darkroom a little bit, um, but I, I understand what you're saying. It's a, it's less time you can spend doing that; the more time you can spend actually taking photos. <laughs> and it's so it's curious. interesting. I, oh. I
1: worked out that process myself, and then as a teacher, I discovered that there's other photographers do the same, exactly the same thing, and they're teaching the same, the same sort of process, you know. Um, Eric Kim has a very similar process with his um, uh, street photography. He tells people mm-hmm. to shoot in the high contrast black and white, but then shoot raw, and then he, he again creates a preset to match the camera and then um, brings the raw in in the same way. It's a beautiful way to work. It really is, and it's liberating, and fraying and very very simple
0: i could totally see that because um i got back from iceland a week ago a little over a week ago and i've think i've edited most of my photos but i've got 92 edited photos and i think it took me probably 16 to 24 hours of work to get there <laughs> oh wow
1: wow that's a lot and I've heard people spending yeah. you know sixty hours on one photo
0: too yeah that that seems crazy to me, but um so I'm curious um when you're out shooting uh black and white how how have you since you've also shot color um, in your experience what is the how is the process different when you're shooting in black and white versus color
1: ah uh, this is really important and for me personally, and it's something that I will teach people as well. Let's go back to, Matt, when we had film cameras. Uh, you know, as a teenager, I had two SLRs, a black one and a silver one, both the same model. Um, the silver one held the black and white film for some reason, and the black one held the color film. And... One was on each side of me and when I'd pick the camera up, I'd actually start to make the decision about this is going to be a colour photograph and I'd grab the colour camera. And if it was a black and white photograph and I was seeing something in black and white, I'd grab the black and white camera. And when I worked in medium large format for 10 years, I used to carry black and white film and colour film. And so you're making that choice before you even – finalise the composition, exposure, and all those sort of things. And the um, colour composition, you have to get the colour harmonies right. In black and white composition, you've got to get the tonal harmonies right. The lines and all the big shapes and all that sort of works very, very similar. In the black and white you don't have to worry about the colors and what's going on you just have to worry about the tonal harmonies but in the color you really have to concentrate on those things and i tell people um over and over and i've tried to prove this but probably unsuccessfully (laughs) that you should make that decision it's is it going to be a black and white or is it going to be a color before you take the photo and if you've got these modern digital cameras where you can just turn it to black and white and you can see what you're doing while you're taking the photo, why not use it? Like if you use an SLR, just put it on live view, um, have one of your custom settings set up for black and white, turn it on to C2 and compose on the back of the camera. Um, When I had Mm. my Canon, I had my viewfinder taped up with gaffer tape. I only shot in live view for a year with that camera. Wow. Compose. I think your black and white will be a lot stronger if you try to compose in black and white and think about the black and white when you take the photo. Um, Mm. The idea that you can rescue a a sad color photo by converting it to black and white um, uh, loses a lot of interest in my my view.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's where a lot of us, I mean, I know most of the people I talk to, they're like, well, it doesn't look, very good. But let's let's see if it looks good in black and white. And uh, I know that's kind of where I've landed. A lot of times it's like, ah, I really liked the photo when I shot it. But when I got back and looked at it on the screen, like they're just, you know, the colors just weren't speaking to me at all, or it was kind of dull, like, especially like, you know, in winter scenes, you know, there's not a lot of color to begin with. And so it's like, well, let's just see if, if it looks any better in black and white. And oftentimes it does, but... Um, I think uh, I'll have to try that just just shooting in black and white to see if it um and changes a, my thoughts. There's process. a few
1: extra bits on there, Matt. To to really, you know how when you um you want to learn a, a lens and you've got a new lens and you just, you just I can't quite get a hang hang a handle of this viewpoint. And the advice is, well, put it on your camera. Don't take it off until you can use it and just stay right. with it until you figure it out. And I'm a really great exponent of only using one lens on your camera. Like I, I tend to use a nifty-fifty on all my cameras and shoot in that viewpoint. Now, when I apply that across to black and white, I would tell you to do the same thing. Put your camera, make, make a decision, yes, I'm going to pursue black and white and then start working on them for an extended period of time until you get your head around it. And it might be a year, it might be even five years or a month, but really concentrate on it. And when I do my black and white workshops and I have people turn up and then I show them how to turn the camera onto black and white and that's sort of like, oh, my God, can you do that? It's like, (laughs) yes. And you've still got the colour photo and you've still got the raw sitting there. And then when you actually start concentrating on black and white, it doesn't take long before you can start to see the difference and really start to uh, shine um, in that medium. Uh, you, you start to see the black and white and you start switching off the colour. You learn to squint your eyes and uh, turn off the, uh, the cones, is it, or the rods and um, uh, just see the tones it's a beautiful medium and yeah, concentrating on it is the way to master it. Get rid of simplification, removing out the I'm distraction curious. of everything else.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I'm excited to try it. Um, I haven't personally been a huge fan of black and white, but um, I think the black and white images that I do have are some of my, interestingly enough, some of my better shots. Um, so I'm curious to try more of it. Um I'm curious from what uh, your experience has been on the, I guess the consumption side of photography. Have you found that black and white as a medium gets consumed more in terms of like people purchasing it or wanting to um, <laughs> like in, in from a fight? Does that question make sense? Or?
1: Yeah, it does. And um, the answer uh for me that i've discovered is it's actually harder (laughs) it's harder to find buyers it's um i get less facebook likes and all those sort of things i don't you know instagram likes (laughs) um i don't chase those sort of things but um it, it registers with a lot of photographers but it doesn't um uh tend to speak volumes for the general public as Um, either it's sort of seen as a historic thing people see it as a romantic thing some people just love Mm -hmm. it and they can't get enough of it and don't understand the other but um, it's the masses it's people really love bright colors and really strong um, forceful compositions that capture your attention so you know how how long do you look at a photo when you flick through instagram
0: right Right.
1: Very, very short. Now, I'm trying to make art that stays on people's walls for the rest of their lives. Right. I want a photo that grows on you and keeps talking on you that you have to keep coming back to and looking further and harder. Um, they often don't fi- um, survive the one-second test. <laughs> 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 and so in, in that and that means uh, uh, um, it's not very exciting in the general population at all, uh, I don't think. But people really still love Ansel Adams and all that that sort of stuff, particularly photographers. But most of them chase the the color dream.
0: Sure, sure. Well, I think there are there there is an emerging trend out there, um, which I think is kind of fun and interesting to see. Is that uh, you know, people are focusing a little bit more on composition and patterns and things like that over color. And I think, I don't know if that's going to translate into, you know, people wanting to buy those images, but I have noticed that a lot of the, um, at least a lot of the people that I admire, they're kind of shifting more in that direction, which I think is just, it's very interesting to see that they're not focused so much on chasing the big sunset or the big sunrise or whatever they're more focused on like what is the light telling me to do and and how do i how do how do i convey that message to the viewer you know what i mean
1: Yeah, and this we're talking about the benefit of being a teacher and why I love teaching photography so much is that it gives me um, artistic freedom to pursue whatever photos I'd like and I don't need to worry about whether my work um, is popular, whether it sells (laughs) or not. I can just purely take photos for my own personal indulgence and right. to make exhibitions that I want to show people. If I have an exhibition, there's no pressure as to whether anything sells or not. Uh, I don't have to consider which work will sell. I don't even have to worry about my pricing. I, I can just do whatever I feel like. And um, having a business that doesn't rely on that side of photography uh, is a huge benefit, and that's what's actually freed me from my photography. Uh, when I had a gallery, I spent hours trying to figure out what sells and then I'd try and chase that and uh, I became commercial and I hated my own work at that point and it it wasn't as interesting or exciting. The more I figured out what sold, the worse my work got.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I know the feeling for sure. That's one of the things that I personally would dread about having a gallery is that I know that – the photos that I really, really want to take and that speak to me personally and that give me the most excitement are probably the least likely to sell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I'm the same. And that- yeah, that'd be my downfall as well. <laughs> the gallery wouldn't yeah. make any money probably, but it'd be full of <laughs> right. work that I absolutely loved.
0: <laughs> right, right, and only and only you, right? <laughs> yeah, <definitely. laughs> or a, a small a smaller portion of people. Let's say that. <laughs> oh, I, um,
1: I, I used to when I had the gallery. I used to survey people. You know, which postcard will you buy? Here's fifty to choose, and I'd get them to pick out their six and I'd turn them over and tick the back and all those sort of things. And my favorite photo came last. And then eventually one person <laughs> went, this is the one I love. And I'm like, oh, you finally get, <laughs> that's my favorite.
0: One. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> finally someone yeah, that's gets me. Awesome. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> so uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, I have two more questions I wanted to ask you, but I had a, another quick topic I wanted to cover with you. Um I know that you've started um, writing and sending out a daily blog to um, people that subscribe to your, to, your, to your blog. And I'm just curious what that process is like for you. And what, I guess, what, what has it turned into for you? Like, what, what is it doing for you as an artist? And then all, what have you hoped it would do for you?
1: Uh, well, it's got a, a huge amount of benefits that I didn't realize when I started and uh, I had no idea how successful it would be and um, how it would work. I just sort of thought I I need to m- take marketing into my own hands and, and do it myself and I don't even remember where I got the idea from. Um, a lot of people do that 365-day um, photos and I uh-huh. – I started with, you know, quotes and and then I started writing little bits and um, I'd love to write a book, for example, and I, I write mainly for magazines and so I'm, I'm writing, you know, 1,000, 2,000-word essays for magazines. Uh, writing every single day and just writing a little bit f- fits my limited attention span just absolutely perfectly. So... I've started now writing books within my blog and concentrating on them. So I have been working on a book on creativity. So each little 10-minute piece that I write each morning, um, I can then – can be later edited and put together to make a book on creativity and then one on black and white photography and one on composition. And rather than figuring out what I'm going to write today – uh I just let it come to me as I'm lying in bed in the morning. Oh, I think I'll write about this and I, I dream up a little bit and it just comes out really easily and quickly and then off it goes. I, it also gives me a a, form, uh, a medium to share my work and I'm, I'm diving back into my old work sharing um, this huge body that I've been working on, a, a huge body of photographs I've been working on for you know, 30 to 40 years, I can actually now show people it and put That's it out awesome. there and people can see it and I can go back to old work and the work I've taken only yesterday and um, it goes out into the ether. And uh, But the biggest benefit is that every single day someone writes to me and on a good day I get 10 or 15 um, emails Um saying, I really love the photograph or that reminds me of a story that I have or here's a quote that resonates with what you wrote about today or I've been thinking about what you've said and I realise that this happened and it's that constant feedback. Um, I've started my own praise file where I keep everybody's feedback and, uh, do you know, that encourages me to keep writing and it encourages me to take more photos and it makes me feel good about myself and I've got this huge self-esteem boost from from doing this where people are constantly in uh, giving me feedback and enjoyment and telling me how beautiful my work is and How inspiring they find having something arrive in their inbox every single day! Um, It's amazing.
0: I love that. (laughs) Have you have you seen it translate into um, customers or anything like that? Or
1: Um, occasionally, I'll I'll put a. You know, um, recently I put up a photo of an abstract. And after the writing, I made a little mention that my abstract workshop was, was coming up in July and I had a booking that particular day. Um, uh, but that's really the only one that I can actually specifically say that I got from there. Sure. But uh, like on the weekend, I ran a black and white workshop in the Blue Mountains. The clients that came have been coming on my workshops, some of them for the past five years and they've come back, um, uh, one set of them came as a group and they, they've they been coming as a group for three or four years as well. And uh, they wanted to talk about the photos in the blog and also about the things that I'd um, said in it. And, oh, well, when you did that and that particular photo there and then what are you going to put in next week? And they were sort of on the edge of the <laughs> seats about it and I just – I was blown away and um, I'm so eternally grateful for um, that positive feedback and uh, I didn't yeah. have it before that. I, You know, I'd get frustrated with Facebook and putting up a photo and getting 10 likes and those sort of things and from there, now I've got people writing to me actually engaging and having conversations with me about my work. Um, it's amazing, absolutely amazing.
0: I love that and I think – I really liked what you said about, you know, it's okay to like want feedback and positive reinforcement from your, from people that follow you. I think, you know, we all have egos and I think feeding that ego in an appropriate way and giving you more, you know, things to look forward to and and things to strive for is there's nothing wrong with that.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's absolutely, it's magical and it's not called for, I, um, Uh, Instead of you writing at the end of your photo, creative criticism sort or whatever, um, uh, or please write to me and tell me what you think, there's none of that. They're just turning up because people are appreciating it. And when it's heartfelt and you know that that's the case, that makes it even more special, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, cool. Thanks for sharing that. I think think a lot of people struggle with how to connect with their audience. And I think I like the idea of a short, you know, daily message to people because it it gives them the opportunity to engage with you and it gives you the opportunity to see what people are liking about your work. So I think that's great. Yeah, and Um,
1: that's, you know, relationships are like that. The more you're in contact with them, the stronger they are often.
0: Um, imagine, imagine that.
1: Yeah. Um, I remember living in a community in the Blue Mountains. As soon as I moved to the next suburb and I'd stopped running into my friends at the shops, I got invited to less of their parties. It, you know, it's, it's that continual connection builds stronger relationships, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, two more questions. Um, my first question is, um, you know, based on the name of the podcast – F-stop, collaborate, and listen, what advice would you have for other photographers?
1: Oh, well, I have to come back to the advice that you had, um, <laughs> and that you you, you <laughs> brought up about shooting what you love. I, um, that's my mantra as well. And uh, if you don't know what you love, um, maybe photography can be your journey to figuring that out. And it certainly has mm. for me. I've discovered so much about myself and who I am through um, being a photographer and using it as a creative medium. Um, It's such a beautiful medium. Um, You know, rather than chasing uh, uh, that, you know, the likes and that immediate feedback, chase what it is that you're passionate about, chase the sort of work that you really love. Um, figure out how it works for you I I, you nailed it when you said that Matt and I think that's the most important thing you know we do it for fun it's for passion and it's to give us um a huge range of benefits in our life Uh, it's a beautiful thing
0: well thank you for that validation (laughs) um okay uh so last question is um who are some artists that you would love to hear on the podcast?
1: Um, uh, oh, uh, do you want to hear some Australian ones, do you think? Or um, I'm not so big on the, the ones in the, um, uh, around. I, I was really lucky to um, be invited to the, the meeting of the Mines conference that Tim Parkin over at On Landscape put on in the Lake District in the UK and uh, Hmm. um, uh, Tim would be someone that I would recommend that I'd love to hear him talk about uh, landscape. Another gentleman that I met there um, would be uh, Mark Littlejohn and David Ward, uh, two other people that I'm really interested in. Um, Here in Australia, um, uh, Luke – um sharky i can't like can't pronounce his i'm dyslexic and i have trouble pronouncing people's last names is a, a photographer that um may be of interest i think to your audience and uh, another one would be uh chris Bell is someone i think would be um interesting to your audience as well so there's a few there
0: okay Great. I have I know of Tim Parkin because um, he reached out to me after I wrote an article, but um, I have not heard of any of those other people. So that's yeah,
1: great. Yeah. Um, oh, the, the article about um, why people like to um, lie and cheat with their photos. Is that... <laughs> <laughs> is that the one? That's the one. <laughs> Dude, um Matt, that was a fantastic article and I reading that I learned so much I didn't I didn't really understand some of the psychology behind that and uh you really illuminated it there and uh you know, from an ethical viewpoint I, I'm in total agreement agreement with what's being said is be honest about what you're doing and um, um, own your processing and tell people what you're up to and rather than mislead them and go, well, you know, this is trying, this is a real photograph. Um, so uh, that was a fantastic article, Matt. Right. I really enjoyed reading it.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, it generated <clears throat> quite quite some controversy. So it was, uh, it was just something I had to get off my chest. <laughs> that's all I'll say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've just written an article on ethics well um and uh, it, it feels quite confronting to put out what you really believe
0: and i yeah and i think actually um ethics and the intersection with teaching i think could be a great conversation for us to have over on patreon here in a few minutes i oh, would
1: love to matt love to
0: perfect well thank you len for coming on the podcast it's been a real delight listening to you talk about uh, photography um, it, it's obvious to me just listening to you that that it's a, a huge passion of yours and I and I just it really just comes through when you when you speak so I really enjoyed my time oh,
1: and thank you for having me on Matt and it's been um, lovely talking to you and to your audience